Good morning. Good morning. Centuries ago, the psalmist said, This is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Mark Williams. I'm the senior minister here at Naples United Church of Christ, and I rejoice to be with all of you who are present in person for worship, as well as those who are connecting with us online, especially the communities of Arbor Trace and Bentley Village. Blessings all. And I'm Reverend Angela Wells-Bean. I'm your minister for congregational care, and we are thrilled to have you worshiping with us this morning. I'd like to ask you to register your attendance. So if you're here in the sanctuary, please grab those blue attendance pads. They're at the edge of your pews. Take a minute to fill it out with any contact information and pass it to your neighbor. You can give them a smile while you pass it along. And if you're here, um, excuse me, if you're worshiping with us online, you can write your name in the comments section, tell us where you are this morning, and while you're there, you can click on a link which will bring up a PDF of our bulletin. In our bulletins this morning, there are numerous opportunities to engage in ministry in the life of the church, and I wanted to highlight just a few. Throughout the month of September, there are going to be some additional opportunities to meet up with me, to share uh, with me your hopes and dreams for the life of the church. And if you're interested in signing up for a Meet Up with Mark session, you can do that in the Narthex today before you leave. On Monday of this week, over in Nelson Hall, the Naples UCC book group is going to be discussing and reviewing a book about Tom Hanks and all are invited to participate. And this coming Wednesday, Angela, is going to be wacky. That's right, the first wacky Wednesday. Wacky Wednesday begins this week at 5 o'clock with our interim director of Christian three, Education. Three o'clock. Three to five. Thank you, Becky. <laughs> Don't come at five. <laughs> Don't come at five from three to five at Three o'clock, uh, children are going to come and be with our interim director of education, uh, Jeannie Snedeker, and then shortly thereafter, they're going to be singing with uh, Dr. Becky. There's a lot of information about Wacky Wednesday in your bulletins today, and be sure if you're planning to bring a child this coming Wednesday to sign up with Miss Jeannie before you leave. And I've got two announcements. Um, as the clergy liaison to the Board of Mission and Outreach, both of my announcements are mission-related this morning. The first is just a gentle reminder for those of you worshiping with us here in Naples that next week is Cans for Communion. On the first Sunday of every month, we have communion and worship, but we also do a collection of non-perishable food items for our mission partner, Grace Place. And their, uh, their food pantry, their reserves get really low in the summer and their donations drop, of course, as the population in Naples drops, but the need is still great. So please, when you're doing your shopping this week, put a few extra things in your cart and bring them with you on Sunday for Grace Place. I know that they will appreciate that. And the second announcement I have that's mission-related is back in the spring, we were promoting our trip to Guatemala. We have a, another mission partner, People for Guatemala, and we have a group of folks going down there in November to do really important service work. And the good news is that we had a spot open up. Uh, someone had to have a medical procedure, and so they're not able to go. They're doing well, so all is good. Um, but we do have one space available. So if you were thinking of going to Guatemala and you were on the fence, well, 
maybe this is the Holy Spirit nudging you to maybe make the uh, decision to go this year. And that spot will be open until it's filled. And there are details in your bulletin or you're welcome to connect with me and I can give you more information. And so that is in November. Think about it. Let us now prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Our call to worship this morning comes in the form of a simple word of gratitude that I jotted down on Wednesday afternoon of this week. God, I am blessed to be part of this, your church, a church that is so beautiful. God, I am blessed to have met so many new people who I don't know yet fully, yet who share a common faith with mine. God, I am blessed by the love and care that exists in this place. God, I am blessed that this church includes all. God, I am blessed by children in this space. God, I am blessed by the music in this church that reminds me of just how big you are. God, I am blessed to serve you alongside such a gifted and caring staff. God, I am blessed by the financial gifts that many in this church have made to make it what it is today. God, I am blessed by the ways this church is so active in ministry with others beyond these walls. God, for blessing me and for blessing this congregation, I give you thanks. I invite you to turn to your bulletins and join me in our prayer of invocation. Let us pray together. God of many names, we gather as a people formed by you. You drew us from the primordial and gestational waters. You give us breath and life and being. You meet us in the sanctuary and on the sofa. May our time together in this space, online or on site, Remind us of our connectedness to you, each other, and all creation. We place our hopes, our dreams, and our worries into your care, just as Moses' mother placed him in a basket in the Nile River. As we worship, we welcome your presence among us, and we seek your guiding spirit. Amen. I invite you to be in a spirit of prayer with me as I offer this morning's pastoral prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and all-powerful God, the truth is that we humans, we like power. You know this. You know we're always trying to control things, money, other people, the planet, you, We think we know best. We start sentences with, well, if I ran the world, we know how to do it right. And other people, especially those in our lives whom we love, they wouldn't have the problems they'd have, they have if only they'd listen to us. We need a dose of humility this morning. The not-so-gentle reminder that we don't have all the answers that we aren't in control, and that we don't necessarily know what's right for other people. 
We take this time, holy and gracious God, to refocus our compasses so that they point towards your will and not our own. We lift up in prayer all the things that we cannot control, our loved ones who are in pain, our bodies which don't function the way we want them to, survivors of abuse and warfare, those who live with mental illness, people suffering from natural disasters. There is so much beyond our control. And so as Moses' mother placed all of her trust in you when she laid Moses in that basket, so we place our prayers into your hands. For most parents, nothing in the world matters more than their newborn baby. She laid the most precious human into your care, trusting you to not let harm come over him. Help us to trust you the way Moses' mother did, holding nothing back, no insurance policies in case you fail us. Here we give you our prayers, our fears, our desires, our hopes, everything. It's all in your hands, O God. And we trust that whatever the future holds for us, you will be there to help us see it through. We are so thankful that you never leave us, Your steadfast love is a constant companion on the journey. And this assurance allows us to place all of our prayers into one basket. We offer this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus, the risen Christ, who trusted you and who first taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus. It begins in chapter 1 and goes on to chapter 2. And so you're invited to follow along if you'd like as the words are printed in your bulletins. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come. Let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick 
and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw that he was a fine baby, and she hid him three months when she could hide him no more. She got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw that the basket among the reeds, and she sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. She was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Here ends the reading of this sacred story. Some days ago, I endured one of the gut-wrenching milestones that comes with the vocation of parenting. I dropped off my daughter for her first experience of preschool. I remember dropping her off with the teacher, with mom, and then anxiously at the end of the day, picking her back up at the school with mom. And I asked the teacher, how'd she do? How'd she do? And the teacher said, she did great, dad, but you are a mess. (laughs) I know that there are many parents and grandparents and other caregivers that are present today or worshiping with us online. And I bet you would agree that drop-offs are really, really hard. 
dropping off a child at school, dropping off a teenager at college for the first time. Drop-offs demand faith. We walk back into the story that Angela just read for us, and part of what we learn is that this is going to be a drop-off that may be one of the most gut-wrenching in all of history. The story of Moses' mom dropping baby Moses off in the Nile River. You perhaps remember the story. Once upon a time, Moses endured what many Christian scholars refer to as an unenviable birth. Pharaoh, evil he was, saw the Jewish nation was growing and ordered that uh, newborn babies who were boys would be killed. And mom tried for three months to hide Moses. And then mom made the big decision to drop Moses off in the basket to entrust Moses into the hands of God. She does this, and the rest, you might say, is history. With the help of other women and with God's help, this boy, dropped off into a basket, goes on to be a champion of our faith. This boy goes on to do something that Moses' mom in that moment might not have ever imagined. God wrote a story in this boy's life that she couldn't even see at the time. We know from later in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 that Moses' mom is mentioned as a saint of the faith. Why? Because she had the faithfulness, the trust to bring a person that she loved and to drop that person off into the hands of God. Perhaps one of the spiritual lessons that I learned in my own life when it comes to this story of Moses' mom dropping him off in the basket is what do I do with those people in my life who I love and I care deeply about? And am I willing to drop them off in my prayers into the hands of God? I want you to consider for a moment a child of God in your own life that you may be very, very concerned about this morning. It may be someone in your life, a child, a grandchild, a brother or sister, a mom or dad or friend, who really and truly you are concerned about because of their health or because of a recent illness or a fall. It may be because they're going through something that's very, very hard in their relational life or with their job or, or with their future. Who do you know in your life that you have been trying to help and you may be even at the end of that human path and being able to help them? What might happen? What might happen if you entrusted that person over into the hands of of God. Easier said than done. Because if you are anything like me when it comes to the people you love and the future about them that you so badly want to control, you believe that that outcome is entirely up to you. That if something's going to go right in their life, if they're going to be healed or something is going to take a turn, it's going to be because of the work that you do. Oh, how badly we want to be in control. 
I'll share with you a little humorous sermon story. As I was preparing this sermon on my computer this week, I downsized the sermon to check on the hurricane disturbance out in the Gulf of Mexico. And I was watching the disturbance that is Invest 10. It will soon become Hurricane Adalia. And I began to look at the cone. And in the desk chair of my office, I began to lean it a little bit to the west. Here I am preparing a sermon about not being in control and handing off control to God. And I am in control of hurricanes? If I want to control hurricanes, then how much more do I want to control the outcome of the people that I love? Therein lies the faithfulness of Moses' mother in this text. Part of what she is doing is yielding control over to God. As one Bible commentator put it, Moses' mom does her part by putting Moses into the Nile River, but it is God that will control the current. God that will control the narrative. Or to put it another way, I read an article uh, this week about the drop-offs that are happening at colleges and universities all over the world in late August. And the article was about helicopter parenting. Helicopter parents, as you may know, are people who are excessively wanting controlling uh, their children's lives at college. And this is made a lot easier by the iPhone. And in reading that article, I got to thinking, what was it that made Moses' mom so faithful in this text? Part of it is that she truly believed that it wasn't her, but it was God who was driving the helicopter that day when she dropped baby Moses off. That God, into your hands, I can place this child. Because maybe, just maybe, you're going to write a story in his life that is better than the one that I can write in this moment. In recent days, another news story that we've been following throughout the media has been the passing of beloved game show host Bob Barker, the game show host of The Price is Right. And yesterday, I read an editorial in the New York Times about Bob Barker and The Price is Right that I think really hit the nail on the head about him and the game show. The author of the editorial was arguing that the Price is Right game show was actually some therapy to the American soul. Because as Americans over the years, in the decades that that game show was on, on midday television in the morning, People were watching that whenever they were either out of a job, they weren't working, or when they were sick. How many times did you watch The Price is Right when you were sick? And the editorial just simply suggested that part of what Bob Barker and The Price is Right were doing in those moments when Americans were out of control on that weekday morning at home, they didn't want to be away from their job or sick, is it was giving them a counter-narrative, a story that they could be excited about, something that was out of their control, but something that could perhaps just for a moment, bring them joy. What would it be like to take that person that we love and that we are concerned about 
and put that person into God's hands, trusting that there may be a narrative beyond our control that is in the best interest of that person we love. I'll close with a final observation about the story of baby Moses being in the basket. And you may or may not have heard this before, but it's a little bit of theology that I think makes a lot of sense to me. Did you know that there's only one other place in the Hebrew Bible where the same words for tar and pitch that are used when Moses' mother put the basket together to put Moses in it, they're only used one other time in the Hebrew Bible. And you know where those two words are used? In Genesis 6, verse 14, the story of God asking Noah and giving Noah instructions as to how to build his ark. So perhaps, just perhaps, we're supposed to put those two stories into conversation with each other. For part of the point of both of those stories may be, insofar as you on on the ark, insofar as you are in that basket, God will steer you and direct you and guide you and protect you and comfort you through whatever it is that you or someone you love might be dealing with. If you came to worship this morning very concerned about another child of God in your life, have the courage to place that child into God's hands, to entrust that child over to God. For when you do, God might protect the situation, guide the situation, and rewrite a narrative, a story for that person that might be even better than what you can see in this moment. And if you still don't believe me on this, well, then just ask Moses' mom. Gracious and loving God, for the gifts that you have bring, brought into our lives to bless each one of us, we are grateful. As we return a portion of what has always been yours back to you, use these gifts to build up this, your body of Christ, the church. And use these gifts, O oh God, too, to bring more heaven to earth beyond these walls. Amen. May the sun shine warmly on your face. May the rain fall softly on your fields. And until we all meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.